This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 14th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The learning curve for dealing with COVID-19 has no more impact than at schools, places where young people gather and interact in rooms for hours each day, changing classes, seeing friends, and then going back home. So as school systems try to plan reopenings, what are they doing? What should they be doing? And how much flexibility and, I dare say, grace should be given to parents who choose something else? Cato's Jeff Singer and Neil McCluskey comment. We are, uh, for many school systems, less than a month out from school starting again, maybe. Uh, and in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, we uh, there are a lot of school systems that are really don't appear to have a plan or are sort of just seeing how things go in a lot of ways. So uh, to you, Jeff, what do we know now about the coronavirus uh, and COVID-19 that we didn't know in late February and early March that should inform this discussion? Well, it's also important to state that we're probably going to even know more a few months from now than we know now. So everything, you know, we're in a learning process because uh, this is a new virus. But what we've seen, we have a lot of experience now in, in several countries in Europe. Uh, and what we, what seems to be uh, obvious now is that young children, let's say under the age of 11 or 12, are very minimally at risk of contracting uh, the virus in a classroom setting and of transmitting it to one another or to teachers or adults or bringing it home with them. Now, that's, of course, not universal. There have been a couple of pockets here and there. Uh, there was a case in Israel, a case in uh, in Quebec, where there was an outbreak. But generally speaking, there are about 20 countries that have had schools open uh, for several months now, since uh, since at least April. And some countries never closed them, like Taiwan, for example, and, and Sweden. And um, the experience has been that the, the older children those like uh, middle school age, high school age, under the age of 17, there's still a much less risk of, of uh, contracting the illness than older people above that age. But they seem to be, there have been more outbreaks uh, reported with uh, middle school and high school age kids. But under high school age and middle school, like we're talking about K through six, it seems to be really safe. Um, and there's also been experiences with a lot of daycare centers. Uh, even in New York, when uh, things were really bad a few months ago, uh, there were daycare centers being operated for uh, the children of essential workers, first responders. The, the Y in New York uh, had took care of 40,000 children. Uh, the New York City Department of Education had a daycare center for, for 10,000 uh, children. And they had no uh, cases of outbreaks. Uh, uh, there was a survey that came out from Brown University uh, in June that looked at 916 daycare centers servicing more than 20,000 children around the country, and they found that just 1% of staff and 0.16% of children had uh, confirmed uh, infections with coronavirus. So the combination of, uh, of the knowledge we've gained from daycare centers and from countries where they've been doing this leads us to believe that uh, um, at least in young children, very young children, the risk of, of infection and spreading infection is extremely low. All right. So uh, to you, Neil, what should that mean for uh, parents sending, planning to send their kids back to school? And, you know, 
kids have to interact with teachers. So, so what does that mean for students and teachers interacting in person uh, at school? Well, for the parents of younger kids, again, K through six, as Jeff said, uh, it should be something that is encouraging for parents, that they can feel pretty confident that at the very least, their children will not be in danger if they go back to in-person school, especially if that is coupled with uh, social distancing and to some extent mask wearing and washing hands. Of course, it's hard to get those really little kids to keep a mask on. Um, but if you're worried about the health of your child and they are those younger kids, you should not be as concerned as many parents are. And this is a really important thing from the education policy standpoint is a lot of people, I'm sure, have very little idea what the research says for kids of any age. And understandably, many people want to feel that they are absolutely secure from getting the illness. Um, and if that's the case, there uh, many parents are going to even hear the, what the research from the medical side shows and says they're still not comfortable sending their children to school because even if there's a very small chance that their child will get uh, COVID-19, they will want to avoid that. And then there's the concern of, well, yes, teachers. So what happens once you introduce these older people who are much more susceptible to COVID-19 uh, into the mix? So teachers are very concerned about going back to school. And then there are families that have, for instance, uh, they may be multi-generational in their home and they might have a grandparent who's there and they think, well, I don't want my child getting it. Even if they don't get sick, they may transmit the coronavirus uh, virus to that grandparent. Or there may be somebody in the family who has an underlying condition, not necessarily old, but may uh, have asthma or something like that. And they're worried about kids transmitting it to those adults. Now, Jeff could say uh, much better than I could, is there research that shows those kids even if they don't get COVID-19, can pass on the coronavirus to those older generations. But from an education policy standpoint, no matter what that research tells us, there are going to be a lot of parents, and there are a lot of parents, who simply will not feel safe sending their kids to physical in-person schooling. Jeff, did you want to no, jump in? Well, the, the research suggests that there, of course, there are always exceptions to the rules, and you always will hear about some case report. But generally speaking, the very young children don't seem to, even if they contract the illness, don't seem to transmit it to adults uh, or to anyone, for that matter. At least if they do, it's on a very, very small scale. But I can understand, as, as Neil said, that depending on the situation, some people may say, well, that's fine. I'm glad to hear that, but I'm not willing to take that chance. Secretary of Education DeVos was on a couple of morning programs uh, recently. The, the one I saw was on CNN and sort of capturing, I think, how a lot of people are approaching school. Uh, the anchor on CNN kept asking Secretary DeVos, how can you ensure to parents that their children will be safe if they go back to school? And even, uh, as Jeff said, even if the research shows pretty clearly that kids of a younger age are not a threat to get the virus or under threat to get the virus or to transmit it. Even if you have one or two or three cases where that happens, you can't really say we can guarantee safety. 
Of course, we've never been able to guarantee safety at any flu season. You, If you have kids, you probably know that kids pass all sorts of things on to each other. We never have perfect safety, but people seem to desire that right now. So uh, for parents who are sort of you know, on the margins trying to make that decision uh, on behalf of their children, um, what advice would you offer them, Neil? Well, I think that what they should be asking for is the ability to choose different methods of delivery. Um, we should have this no matter what. Um, but there are, it's about a third, the last I saw, of parents who say they just wouldn't feel safe sending their kids back to school and they want a fully online option. Um, and then there are about two thirds who say, yes, I want my kids back in school, physical school, you know, five days a week. They should have an in person option. And to be fair to a lot of school districts, they are trying to do that. Uh, Fairfax County, Virginia is is a very big district, one of the biggest in the country. And Secretary DeVos has talked about them a lot. And they said, and said kind of early on, well, we're only going to offer sort of a strange hybrid. Uh, you can do two days in person, then you'd have two days online. And a lot of people don't like that. People want, I think, uh, generally to have something that's going to be consistent and equivalent to full-time education, whether it's in person or online. And I think what needs to happen from an education policy perspective is they are given those full options. Uh, I don't mean to, uh, certainly don't mean to disparage teachers because uh, parents were equally caught off guard in March by the, you know, the rapid spread and uh, shutdowns within the United States. But is it fair to say that the online education experience for young people was largely a failure? No. Um, what we see is what we expect and what we should, why we should have an education system as a very baseline that's based on choice. So there were many, there were a few problems. First was the technical problem. There were certainly some school districts where uh, many families didn't have the technical capability of getting online education. And that's a barrier that you can't just overcome with choice. Somebody has to make sure you get that computer or something. Of course, we've long had cyber charter schools and other cyber schools that when you sign up for them, you get the equipment you need. But that was one problem. In terms of once you've overcome that, what is the quality of the education? It's hard to say because nobody's taken standardized tests to say who's learning more. Of course, there are big problems with standardized tests. Um, we don't have that, but we have some families, probably the majority of families saying, you know, we really want to get back to school. Online was not engaging enough for our kids or we didn't get enough material. But there was also a pretty large subset of kids who said, actually, I prefer online. It's much more efficient. We don't have to, I don't spend time sitting in class where, you know, there are three or four kids goofing off that the teacher disproportionately spends their time correcting. We don't have to take a lot of time to take roll and turn back papers. And so there were some kids actually who it worked out much better for. So we don't want to have a single answer about did online education work? It worked better for some people than in-person used to. It probably didn't work as well for more people than in-person did. But what that tells us is we need to have a whole bunch of things that people can choose from. From a, from a medical standpoint, um, there's also uh, other trade-offs to be considered. There's a lot of evidence that very young children 
uh, are a very crucial period uh, of developing certain cognitive skills and also socialization skills. So um, there is reason to believe that at least at the K through six level, in-person, in-classroom education, as well as interaction with other children is very crucial to the development of those children. It's less of a, of a factor when you get to middle school and high school years. Um, that's why uh, back in early June in the UK, the Royal College of Pedi- Pediatrics encouraged going back to school and opening up the schools. And then just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, did the same. Now, just a few days ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics signed a letter with the National Education Association and also the Association of, of uh, Superintendents of Public Schools. Uh, ba- basically, uh, it's, it was portrayed in the media as a walkback. It really wasn't a walkback. It was saying what we're saying here, which is there shouldn't be one size fits all that you need to to take into consideration the uh, the, the the concerns of the parents as well as the teachers and the public health issues of unique to the particular community. And, and, and they should not be a one size fits all approach to this, but they didn't alter their position, which is it's very important to get these kids, particularly young kids into an in-school face-to-face kind of environment. Can I add one thing that it's important uh, to note that we talk about kids receiving their education at home on a computer. And some of this is not just a matter of school policy. It's the lockdown policy and the social distance policy we've been having. So homeschoolers and cyber schoolers before COVID-19 often did get a lot of interactions. Uh, Homeschoolers often have groups that they get together with, with instructions at home, but they do lots of socializing with other kids. So some of this can be dealt with outside of schools. I just don't want people to get the impression that the only socialization that you could have would go on in a school, in part because people look at homeschoolers and they say, oh, those kids must be so isolated and end up being really weird. Um, Part of our problem has been we've told everyone they have to lock down and separate, so nobody has been able to get the socialization that we all need. And that goes beyond school policy. Dr. Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.